This podcast should not be considered as medical or financial advice. If you are looking for such advice, contact a licensed professional, but do find someone that has a brain and can think critically about what's going on in the world today. This is the Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the common collective, as well as why the common collective resists new information. They fear you. They fear you being awake. They fear you waking up others. They fear you being armed. They fear you speaking up. They fear you speaking out. They fear you standing up. They fear you resisting. They fear you rebelling. They fear you revolting. They fear you not complying. They fear you bending together. They fear you standing together. They fear you coordinating. They fear you learning. You are the majority. They fear you realizing your power. They fear you using your power. They fear you. So much of the world is happening outside of view. I've known this for a long time, but it always amazes me how easily I still get tripped up in the distractions of this theater. There is a real world happening. It's just not being advertised. As I've recently found myself diving deeply into the research of Allison McDowell, you all have heard her name and some small clips of her on recent episodes of our show. I don't know if it's the content or the sheer ease of which she spells out and connects it all together that most amazes me. You see, I'm in technical sales and consider myself pretty adept at relaying concepts around my firm's capabilities and focus areas while describing cutting-edge work that we've done for existing clients, but this woman has a handle on so much data uh, for government pilot programs, corporate funding mechanisms, investment bundling schemes, data forecasting technologies, etc. All these things and more are happening at the behest of the uber-wealthy and those in positions of political power, but they are also happening at low-level positions, too. People's motives may be different, but the structured rollout of technologies and the policies that inject them into our daily lives appears to be systemic. There have always been moneyed interests that have used governments to set up rackets to continue to funnel money into their balance sheets, but we're now seeing a coordinated push to use the manufactured pandemic as an excuse to connect the data of our lives across all mediums. Whether it's GPS, commerce, healthcare, educational, government programs to movement within the world, COVID now requires us to allow for a conjoined view of our daily lives through our digital footprint. Being someone that understands data, the ramifications of this is mind-boggling. And it's this mind-boggling nature that impresses me regarding how this suburban woman from Philadelphia could tie this together cogently and relay the data with such precision. The sales in me is eternally jealous. But back to my original point, all these things are happening in the background and we aren't aware. Just as we aren't given the informed consent we are due around the vaccines that they want us to take, we also aren't given informed consent around how data and blockchain systems can mold behavior and limit personal freedom. We are marketed these technologies like we are marketed bills in Congress. They are given shiny names like the Patriot Act and Build Back Better, all while being primarily filled with civil rights abuses, removal of due process, pork, and legal bribery. But just as it's difficult to see the failure or success of legislation, people don't see how the market makers and corporate figureheads are building an open-air prison where our choices of how we participate in every aspect of our life will actually lock or unlock perceived liberty. Just today, we were watching a show about magic, and the magician had invited three social media influencer consultants in for an exercise. He proceeded to show them some highlight posts from his different social platforms, and the posts were all somewhat cheesy and clearly not up to influencer status. He then gave them a box of 
10 to 11 random items and gave them access to a studio that had five to six different staged backdrops where they could shoot selfies to see what they could do with such limited options. Once they came back to the meeting room, he asked all three of them to choose one photo from the hundred plus that they each randomly shot in the studio. And uh, with they also had different backdrops and ra- those different random items. It turned out that all three chose the same location backdrop with the same random item utilized in the same way in each photo. It happened to be a green room with a swing that looked like a sliced watermelon, and they were all holding an empty ice tray covering their face in some way. They had shot these similar photos and used the ice tray in the same fashion, all without each other knowing. And then each one of them chose that same photo of themselves to be the one that they would recommend to the magician. Oh, and they all made the exact same hashtag for the photo as well. To top it off, the magician had his own selfie that he'd taken a few days prior that was also the same picture. Turns out the specific social posts that he showed them from his social platforms actually planted what could be thought of as subliminal clues that would drive these three different people to create the same photo and select the same photo. This really blew us away when we saw it because these were experts in their field. They were supposed to be teaching influencing, and they got influenced themselves and didn't even realize it. This was entertaining and funny, but how is this exact strategy leading us to accept what's going on in the background without doing much questioning on our own? I would say if the magician can be this accurate with just these three individuals, the system is quite adept by now. Fabiola. Hey, Leo. How are you doing? I need some coffee. (laughs) (laughs) It is late. We are particularly late tonight. We are in the wee hours trying to push some good content in another spectacular podcast episode. Yeah, no, I, and I'd like to blame my tiredness on jet lag, but uh, you know, getting back from Vegas, it's actually the same time zone, so <laughs> you can't really, even do that. I don't really have an excuse there. Um, we you know, do have a bunch of kids. We do. We do have kids, and we are in the holiday season. Mm-hmm. So we were running around today with them at the uh, uh, what do they call that uh, festival? The winter, the winter fair. Winter fair, and uh, uh, you know, I think we talked a little bit not specifically about the winter fair, but we talked a little bit about, you know, with the school, we were having challenges around, um, you know, being able to participate, you know, mm-hmm. not being masked and stuff right. like that. And, and uh, turns out things worked out for, in this particular case. You know, they mm-hmm. had a change of heart. At first, they were saying max, masks were going to be uh, required for this event. Like, they can even do that. But... Uh, our buddies, us and our buddies, have been, yeah, we've been doing some strategy around the school, some communication, and we've been getting some very um, condescending responses back, basically telling us, if you don't agree with our policies that break the law, I'm adding the break the law to the response, you can leave. <laughs> And we're like, well, you're not getting rid of us so easily. Yeah. So, but it seems, even though I haven't responded to the latest response I received that was very unset, un, un, unset, unsettling. No. Sexfactory. Unsatisfactory. <laughs> Satisfactory. You, you must I, be tired. I am tired. I, um, I have not responded yet, although I drafted a response. It feels like just planting those seeds is already working. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I think just uh, showing that, I mean, I mean, if anything, uh, your, your, your original uh, letter was very thoughtful and well done, and there was a lot of content to it. You know, the response we got back, not a lot of content. Clearly, the person that reviewed the letter and responded was clearly not knowledgeable on the medical or the legal aspect of of this debate. And it's nice I have that response in writing because it's just appalling. 
And I might read that response one day in this podcast, but not today. <laughs> but it, it was so nice, though, to participate in the... It was. No, the funniest thing this week, I was with my girls <laughs> from the school, the moms. We were all bending together. Um, and we were out at a grocery store just sharing a meal and just laughing. And we're actually talking about a little bit about how to respond to the response I got from the school, from this one person. And ironically enough, this person is at the grocery store. <laughs> I've never seen her in person. And there she is at the grocery store. And guess what? Not wearing a mask? <laughs> not wearing a mask. So, sh rules for thee, but not for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I just, I think about the event today. I mean, it was an extremely well-attended event. I it mean, was. there were so many people there. It was there. lovely. It too. was quite lovely. You know, we had uh, multiple floors in a building being utilized, and uh, just really every Every uh, inch of that facility, you know, was even out into the parking lot because there were so many uh, people there. It was just packed, and and I, I think, I mean, honestly, you know, if I if I'm looking at it, um, you know, from what I experienced, I mean, I think maybe fifteen percent, maybe twenty percent of the people. I don't think even twenty percent. 15% and uh, yeah, so I mean, I don't know, 15 to 20, let's just mm -hmm. say that, you know. So, I mean, I think that, that we, th through this event, I think we, we, we proved um, since they were originally going to do masks, mm -hmm. right? They were saying they were going to do masks and now they're not. And seeing who wears them and who doesn't, I, mean, I think we know where the majority of yeah. the school is. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we already knew, we already but knew it's it. nice to, you know, get some more confirmation. Yeah, so so that was... Uh, we are the 99%. <laughs> well, at least the 85 <laughs> the At least 85%. the 85 um, And, you know, when I was in Vegas, it was really in interesting. I think I told you a little bit, you know, that night I came home. Um, it was really weird because this was the situation where I was going to Amazon's big... Uh, conference, which, you know, normally is like 70, 75,000 people. They had limited it to, I think, around 20. Um, plus, I think whoever, you know, they approved from Amazon to go as far as uh, workers. Um, and uh, which was nice because it was not very attended. So, so you know, you could get around a lot more easily. It used to be like a cattle call. Mm -hmm. um, so that was awesome. Uh, but uh, what was interesting to me was, you know, I kind of read up on what was going on in Vegas and you know, uh, what's the requirement for masks? And, you know, Vegas on their website says that, you know, they're requiring masks of vaccinated what about and the unvaccinated. Yeah, and the requirement from Amazon. Yes, and Amazon, uh, you know, they hadn't said this when I had initially registered, but, but uh, in October they had said that uh, you can't uh, – you can't. You cannot attend inside the the uh, roped off area of the conference um, and get your badge and whatnot mm -hmm. unless you show your vaccine card. And uh, so you know, I, I have a religious exemption. You know, with my company, and uh, uh, I you know went to my boss. I just say, hey, look, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't go. And you know, and he he was like cool. He was like, hey, you know, most of the business that we do at our level is not. Uh, happening inside the the show gates anyway in fact that's kind of a um a lot of uh, bs you know that happens on the show floor uh so you know just get a hotel room and and we'll go to all the dinners and we'll have the meetings and and we did um i did have a couple of meetings that i did need to be in and i borrowed uh one of my colleagues uh um uh, passes and uh, uh, he's a bald guy, by the way. So we don't we don't look we don't look anything alike. Uh, our names don't sound anything alike. And and uh, you know Amazon did do a a big thing with having security. You know they've got it all roped off. You have to you know have your badge to go in. But you know they're not looking at the badge to see if you're the badge holder. Mm -hmm. You know so I mean uh, if I, mean, I you could have shaved your head. I could have shaved my head. I didn't though for a year this. ago. Not this week. Um, but. Um, you know, I walked right in, right? They scanned it. They didn't look at the picture on it. And uh, they didn't ask to see any ID. So, I mean, it's like if their goal was really this safety, you know, then... And, and they paid all the people that made it look like they were doing the job. Mm -hmm. It's just that nobody was doing the job, mm -hmm. you know? And I and I walked it, actually. That was in two different uh, areas. Because they have... Uh, 
they have multiple areas where they have meeting rooms and then where they have the actual show floor. So, you know, those are not the same entrances. They're not even the same hotels. Um, and, and I got through both of, uh, those in the same fashion. Do you feel that they were less attended? Why do you feel they were less attended this year versus other? Well, they actually had a limit. They, they, oh, they had a Yeah, limit. yeah. So they, they said get registered quickly because I think they're only well, allowing. Well, they probably didn't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> it could have been. Could have been. Could have been. But it was quite nice because you know, they're, they're, it really was very. Um, I, I'll, I will bet you that it was the, uh, uh, the least um, occupied I've seen Las Vegas, you know, in the seven eight times i've been there you know mm-hmm. it, it, it was really very enjoyable besides the besides the loud obnoxious uh music from uh selling sunset being played everywhere <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, it, it was really uh, uh it's like those songs are all sound the same yeah we should change our intro uh, uh music to one of those people get sick of us real quick um so what else do we want to talk about here? I, we, we could talk a little bit about what we started with there. We could talk about the, the employers too. Yeah, but, know, but, but, they, but let's, let's start though with what we, what we started out with. You had that quote mm-hmm. and, and uh, you had seen that. Why did that kind of speak to you? You wanted to put that in the front. Well, this episode, I really, we have talked in the past about what us, uh, the 99% is afraid of. And there is the split between people that are really afraid of a virus no one has ever seen and other people that are really afraid of all the rice that are being stripped away because the, of the virus we've never seen. Uh, so we talked about that. We talked about the um, influencing, the mind control, all the possibilities, the addiction to fear, all in the population at large. But what we haven't talked about is what? the powers that be are afraid of. So I wanted to bring that up in this episode. Yeah, no, I thought that was good. And uh, I think that's fair to say. And I think we're seeing just by a lot of the sloppiness, you know, of, of everything they're doing that, that uh, uh, there is some fear there, you know, they're, they're doing what they can with the subpar tools that they have at their disposal, you know, in the subpar tools, I mean, a lot of the, the figureheads and politicians that they have in place. Um, mm-hmm. So and when we say they, we're not really sure who they are, because they hide in the shadows. <laughs> you, you did have that clip of David Martin, remember, he was naming people. Uh, he actually had that whole slide deck, maybe we could link to that, uh, yeah, potentially, where he yeah. calls out a lot of those people. Um and then you know what, what's interesting to me, I, I in my oh, I wanted to bring something up just real quick. Sorry, but I was talking about the virus no one has ever seen. And when I say that, I was we've seen pictures of it on the internet, but when you go ask, you know, the governments or the health authorities, then they just tell you they don't have a sample. So that's what I mean. I want to clarify that. Yeah, there are no samples that can be provided. We have some new provided. listeners, so I want to make sure I clarify that. Yeah, and, and, and on that note, I, I am I, I will note that I did view Del Bigtree's interview with um, Gert Vandenbosch. Uh, I told you a little bit about that. I was a little bit upset because I want to I want to hold everybody to the same standard. Upset? Not upset. You were maybe disappointed. Disappointed, disappointed. But I, I do want to hold everyone to the same standard and. You know, something that, that, you know, I've noticed with Dell where I thought more in the beginning of the pandemic, he was more interested in all potential views. And over the course of the pandemic, it seems like he's in, in his program has have continued to kind of anchor down into um, really a narrative that still supports that COVID-19 or, or um, SARS-CoV-2, you know, is an actual thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And and maybe it is, uh, but we haven't been proven that it is. And the, yeah, you know, the science, clearly, if it was done the way it's supposed to be done with debates, with processes, with code standards, um, doesn't really support that there is the virus and that immune escape. And if there's no virus, then there's no testing. There's no immune escape we're not saying there's no disease because a disease could be caused by anything 
Yeah. What we're questioning is it caused by a virus and why we don't have data supporting that this virus was purified and it was shown to cause disease. That's well, and, what we're questioning. And I think my real challenge, like with Dell, because I love Dell, you know, I mean, I think he's great. I think he serves a, uh, a need, a, re- a real important need. But what was challenging for me, especially when that interview is, you know, he kind of spent most of his program, he, you know, usually he'll have maybe two, maybe three people he interviews. And I think mm-hmm. he basically took the bulk of his program besides, you know, his standard uh, segments at the beginning where they kind of talk about what's going on in the news. And he de- dedicated that show. In fact, I think he named the show the Gert Vandenbosch interview. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll link to it in the, mm-hmm. in the show notes. But um, what's most frustrating to me is that you have people like Dr. Tom Cowan, uh, doc, Dr. Andy Kaufman. Mm-hmm. You've got oh, them. There's many. Yeah, you've got many of them. They're, they're kind of the ones that, that we yeah. often go to around this. And they are bringing up some fantastic points. They're developing they're Re- looking at the studies. Looking, they have detailed content. They're going back, you know, to virology 101 from the very beginning. How did virology even come about? Well, and we know that Dell certainly is not obtuse to this fact because they've brought it up in uh, passing, in you know, saying like talking about the the FOIA information requests. Uh, they they haven't been able to come up with samples of the virus and things mm-hmm. of that nature. I've heard those personally, and uh, uh, they just kind of mention that almost as kind of uh, you know, just kind of as a as as a footnote on other points that they're making. Yet when they've got a guest like. Gert Vandenbosch, uh, you know, doing an extended interview, which in fact, he even mentioned that he didn't just have him on and they just talked for, you know, an hour. Mm -hmm. They actually had been getting together through conference calls for, you know, two or three weeks. And they maybe had, you know, 15 to 20 hours of time to go over the data so that, you know, Dell really understood it thoroughly and that they could make the most out of that one hour or whatever it was when he actually came on the recorded interview. And so it's challenging for me, and this really goes for a lot of people in the space, uh, certainly in the mainstream, but, you know, even in, in, in the alternative circles is that, you know, you have these, uh, alternative theories or should i say really i mean i think that that dr tom cowan and kaufman are actually presenting some big gaps that need to be answered Mm -hmm. and you know dell never brings that up so we we kind of have a starting point with gert that yeah this virus exists yeah the perspective is that is the assumption of most people, yeah, they said there's a virus. I mean, we've seen the sequence, so it exists. You know, ra- rather than asking him, so you let's know, just keep debating on that. Let's forget the foundational question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, be- because it, who it, has seen it? <laughs> it? It's severely important in this discussion because uh, that whole process of in silico genome uh, creation it is something that we're going to continue to see, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, if. We don't understand. Yes, the, it, doesn't that kind of go with the metaverse, right? Now, the reality is virtual is not in the three-dimensional world anymore. And for those of you that, that, that are maybe coming to this for the first time, we've done some some uh, episodes about it, one specifically called In Silico. Um, and we have a Telegram group. And we do have a Telegram group. So if you ever want to ask any questions, go to the Collective Resistance Podcast on Telegram. And then if there's any specific info that we bring up like in episodes like this that you have questions around ask it there we can point you to the specific episodes where we we might have Mm -hmm. uh uh, talked about those things the episodes all have sources yeah yeah in the show notes you can go and and, uh, link back to articles and studies and and videos Mm -hmm. that we reference so so do that uh please feel free to join us there in telegram um but yeah but i i just want to finalize my thought there you know when when you have the opportunity to have somebody on the on the the call like that for an extended interview let's let's remove those baseline concerns because it wasn't like he said oh okay you know do you have a problem with this in silico genome thing and, and if you don't why don't you because there's a there's a there's a swath a fairly significant swath of people who have a big problem with how uh isolation is defined mm-hmm. for viruses and uh and we know that that 
that uh, Dell has some challenges with it himself. So, for, so to not bring that up and then just skip ahead to, okay, we've got this virus. When what's interesting is then later in that same interview, he he talks to Dr. Paul, or I'm sorry, he doesn't talk to Dr. Paul Offit. He actually uh, plays a clip of Dr. Paul Offit, who is um, actually a critic of Vandenbosch. Uh, and he does that same thing with with Offit that we're talking about here, so which was good, right? That that, mm-hmm. that that's beneficial. But again, we need to walk through the whole thing from inception to execution at the end. We we can't just skip ahead. We've got to understand all the the components and understand why virology works the way it does. Um, and uh, uh, I just really felt like that was a gap, and, and Dell kind of let us down mm-hmm. in that respect. I mean, so. I think just bringing that guy in, you you would assume that they wouldn't be talking about vi- virus isolation, right? You, so they were mainly talking about effects, efficacy of vaccine, efficacy of vaccine. Is that what they were talking about? I didn't listen to the I mean, they were really talking about his whole premise of, of immune escape, mm-hmm. where where if you if you give a a vaccine to uh, basically the whole population mm-hmm. while the virus is circulating, then you actually create the uh, you know the the uh, environment for the mutation and then to occur occur because you're only vaccinating for a specific strain and then you wipe out people's natural killer cells which are more you know innate immunity Mm -hmm. where where it doesn't matter what the pathogen is Mm -hmm. you actually kill those uh, Mm -hmm. uh, with the with the vaccine and so should we talk about VAERS a little bit yeah yeah what did you want to uh, talk about the vaccine so the latest data there was actually a report that there were uh, some reports of um, deaths for children, which is really, really sad. I can't imagine what these parents might be going through. That were reported to VARES, the Vaccine Adverse um, Event Reporting System. Extremely difficult to report injury, vaccine injury, and death to the this, this, this system because it requires so much documentation, so much back and forth. So the system, as we discussed previously, is severely underreported. Um, but so far, it has recorded um, 927,740 adverse events from all age groups, including... 19,532 deaths and 146,720 serious injuries between December 4th and November uh, December 4th 2020 when the vaccine rollout occurred and November 26th 2021 so almost a year of recorded data so really really high numbers for a product that was rushed that we don't we actually don't know what it does. What we do know that it doesn't do is protect you <laughs> from a virus that... We haven't isolated. We haven't isolated. Yeah, we haven't actually found. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's um, that's disappointing as well, obviously. I mean, it's just sad. It's tragic, really. I mean, if we think about the underreporting, I mean, what is the real number? Yeah, no, I mean, well, yeah, because what Harvard, as we've talked about Mm -hmm. before, they did that study. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that that actually reminds me of a, I think I told you a little bit about, uh, I had a conversation, I don't engage much on Facebook anymore, but I did have a conversation with uh, a a high school friend of mine. And, uh, um, you know, it was just really interesting, you know, like, uh, as soon as someone brought the VAERS reports up, you know, this person you know, it's basically like, well, you know, anybody can submit those. It's like they go right mm-hmm. to the talking points, you know. Yeah. And I jumped in because, again, I don't typically engage. And I said, I said to this person, you know, do you really think that the bulk of these people, I mean, really any meaningful percentage, even know what VAERS is? I mean, if you went on the street right now or you went to the mall and you asked, 20 10 or 20 people are do you know what VAERS is can you tell me what VAERS is or are you even aware that do you know there's a formal system for submitting that you had an adverse reaction to Which a vaccine is actually required by law by clinicians and most clinicians don't even know what VAERS is either 
But, you know, I just posed that question. I mean, do you think that anybody would even know that? I mean, I think that, that I think all of us listening, I think we'd say, well, you know, we might get a couple. You know, I think you and I would probably get more than most because the friends we run around with are in mm-hmm. the know. Yeah. But I mean, you and I both know that from, you know, talking to people we work with and... and uh, yeah, they have no idea. They have no clue, you know, have no clue at all. And so so I'm like, so what are you saying? All these reports are just uh, a few people that are in the know that are just <laughs> some submitting trolls them. Some yeah, they have just, nothing better to do. They, they've created some script <laughs> yeah. that goes out and, and submits fake reports, you yeah. know, and... and uh, uh, you know, the person, it's just so interesting. The person has no response, or they just totally change the the subject. Or they attack you because they have nothing to say. I, I didn't get attacked by this That's person. Good, but they, but they, that happens. Yeah, but they just changed the, 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 the subject, you know, and, and it's just so frustrating. It's like, well, let's, let's talk about the deficiency, mm-hmm. you know, or let's talk about... Uh, the you know the the psychology of people or how those reports get submitted. What do you really believe about who is submitting those reports? Mm-hmm. And you can't have that conversation. You, I mean, specifically not in Facebook. Maybe you could do it in person. Well, you can talk about the new variant. I'm sure they're all talking about it. O- Omicron. Uh, Omicron. You're better known as the moronic uh, <laughs> variant. You know, I, th- I guess that's an anagram. I saw that. Which supposedly, actually, not supposedly. I guess we could just look at it right now the <laughs> D- delta and omicron together uh-huh. uh as one word you can anagram those to 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 say media control oh my gosh for yeah. real <laughs> yeah so that's interesting uh-huh yeah the media will follow with the well the media will create the hype and investors will follow, will follow right follow suit yes. wise words from what was his name peter peter Dazic. Dazic. that's yeah. right that's right. So we wanted to talk a little bit about this very end. We have a great clip from uh, Dr. Kaufman talking with Sayerji from Green Med Info. We want to play about this amazing new happening in the COVID world. So this is the simulation, right? It looks impressive. Even if you're a scientist or a doctor, you see this thing rotating and you're like, wow, they really did a lot, right? But they, they did nothing. So if we're going to summarize uh, things up for the Omicron variant, so there's no actual attempt to do even the virus culture isolation procedure. There's no microscope images. There's no proof that it exists at all in reality. It was discovered only by an in silico genome sequencing, which is a complete computer simulation. The clinical properties in this case weren't even, they didn't even create a pseudovirus and do those lab experiments. It was only computer modeling. And uh, it was based on converting the negative PCR test, right, that had two out of three uh, primers positive to now positive, um, creating cases out of nothing, right? And that, that's why it got classified a variant of concern. But there's no clinical test that's been authorized, approved or available. In fact, it hasn't even been developed for not for Omicron, but for any variant. So when they say there's an outbreak of Delta or Omicron, they they don't really have any scientific basis to tell that. So that was Dr. Kaufman. Yeah, so we are going to post that interview in the show notes. And One interesting, I mean, he says several interesting things, but about the testing, what they're doing right now to to say that you test positive for this variant, which they call it this, what did they call it? It was so funny. Um, The scariant. Scariant. (laughs) That's what they're calling it. Is that so they're getting the PCR test, which we have covered extensively. It is not a diagnostic tool already, but basically to... Diagnosed for Delta, you will have to have three primers in the test be positive. And for this new variant, you only need two primers. So basically, there. The bar is dropping. The bar is dropping, and the cases can skyrocket. And not only that, but the symptoms, the symptomology of this new, air quotes, variant. It's very similar to the the adverse reactions you get from the injection. I did see that on another uh, uh, like a PDF file. Like it said at the bottom, it said like heart 
uh-huh. conditions, you know, can uh, can pop up with yeah. this. So it's very intriguing. Yeah. Given so the issues. yeah, I mean, why are we going to blame our failing Vaccine. dangerous product when we can just create? in our computers a new sequence and say that's what's causing the problem yeah that is interesting when you think about it of all the things that it could add to the symptom list you know i mean obviously there are there's infinite numbers of of issues that can pop up within the human Mm -hmm. body and it just happens to pop up the thing that is kind of eating up the headlines around the vaccine (laughs) i mean the the marketing plan is just brilliant we got to give it up to them it's just wow well i think if anything that the the point has kind of been proven out that that uh, this is just being ramrodded in order to continue to facilitate the implementation of these back end you know technologies and tracking systems and, and mm-hmm. all this stuff you know and that was kind of what I was uh, pointing out in the little uh, uh, editorial I wrote at the beginning mm-hmm. um, and I do want to. You know, direct people. I don't have clips here because I know we've played some clips of Allison McDowell. I, I do want to direct, and I will link to a really good podcast that uh, uh, she did with um, the Higher Side Chats uh, back in, um, I think it was uh, the summer of 2020. So, you know, the, the, the pandemic was uh, uh, just kind of getting rocking and rolling. Lo- lockdowns were coming in. And so uh, she had just kind of had the, 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 um, uh, awareness that okay look you know the things that she thought were going to happen over the next 10 years that she was going to have time to really you know do a lot of speaking about and bring mm-hmm. people up to speed on those things were now going to go on fast track with covid she was starting to see everybody move in all the players that she'd kind of been tracking and what's interesting with her which is different you know than a lot of the people that we that we uh, feature is that she actually names the names and she, she it, 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 i mean and she does it with such precision she she talks about you know the the people who are funding the studies and the technologies you know who are the uh, companies that are working uh, jointly i mean and, and she just riffs with it i mean she How just I don't. I, I think she's one of those people. Um, do Do you know those people that like they they can remember every moment? Of, there's only like a handful of them in the world. I think there's like maybe a hundred of them that, that David Martin being one of them. No, maybe? no, no, no. I mean, they can because rem- he remembers a lot. So. Well, you know, there's those people that like you could actually give them a date and they can tell you what they had for lunch mm-hmm. that day. And they actually look at it kind of as a curse, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's got a similar, she must have a similar uh, affliction there. Well, yeah, let's go with that. It's like a photographic memory Mm -hmm. with reading, and Mm -hmm. she can just access it. Um, And maybe it's just that she's given so many talks, you know what I mean, that she just has it it, it down. But, um, you know, I was just, I'm just so impressed with her. Um, You know, we did. She did come up on our last one. We we talked about you know some challenges with, uh, you know, how she sees some of the and on our last episode with Robert Phoenix. Yeah, if you guys haven't listened to it, highly recommend it. But from a research perspective and how she kind of assimilates the data and whatnot, I mean, it's just fantastic. So I want to link. I mean, I think that this one particular uh, podcast episode that she did should be required listening for everyone in the United States. Just to have awareness as far as these programs that have been piloted, they're being implemented. Uh, you know, this is happening around the world. These are things that governments are agreeing to. People are going to governments to warn them about them. And the government's already saying, oh, yeah, we've already been walked through those and we're doing them. You know, and so, I mean, it's just like this has been a long cook, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just now coming out of the oven and uh, they have every intention of serving it. And so they need time and they also need uh, kind of a, a, a racket to push it through under. And that racket is actually it's kind of a conjoined uh, uh, um, effort between COVID and uh, uh, the environment. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of doing the, the uh you know, global warming and, 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 you know, the, the carbon the credits, carbon credits, all that. But anyway, it's kind of a conjoined effort across those things, but, uh, uh, just, just amazing stuff. Uh, anyway, please listen to that. And, and if you have questions or you have things that you're not, you're unsure of, go to the telegram group, bring it up there. Let's have a conversation about it because it is just, uh, it's just fantastic. Um, 
Now, so, for this, to continue the conversation about the fear of the people you were just speaking about and that Allison speaks about, Leah wasn't really down for these next two clips that I was kind of passionate about. Because <laughs> I it's very intriguing to me. I know there's speculation there. So we're not saying whatever the next few videos are going to talk about is what's happening. But they really resonate with me and they really explain some things to me. Well, and you, you were focusing more on the, on the, the, fear. the fear factor than anything else. You know, What is Mr. Globo or the shadow, shadow government, government or, whatever? or whoever these people are? What? Why are they doing all this? Yeah, there's clearly kind of a rush job happening, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. so we we want to we want to inspect that a little bit more, and so uh, we're going to play a clip here of this first one's with Catherine Austin Fitz yes, from. Uh, actually, you shared that that interview with. Yeah, I shared me. it in the Telegram group. This is from the uh, Truman Show, and so we'll play that now. We'll talk about it afterward. Here's here's my guess. And this is high-octane speculation, but I wrote it up in 2015. I think one of the most important goals for Mr. Global is to build a multi-planetary civilization. And it's a goal I think is a good one. I mean, I share that goal because if you're a civilization, you never want to bet the ranch on one planet. Mm. You know, diversify, diversify, diversify. So I think if you were sitting back in 1990 and you said, how are we going to build a multi-planetary civilization? What you need is you need incredible engineering capacity and manufacturing capacity. And you can't get that in the West. You have to bring Asia into the first world. And if you bring Asia into the first world, if you look at the space programs of Korea, Japan, China, you know, India, that's what's going to turn us into a multi-planetary civilization. Mm. And so if that's your number one goal then you're going to dramatically develop China and Asia and, and use them to create that capacity. Mm. And, I mean, there's a lot of money going to all the space programs, right? Tons. So for many years, you know, during, when I kept trying to warn people about the missing money, I said, they're taking the money that you have reserved for nursing homes and they're going to spend it on space. Because they're saying, we don't want to pay for nursing homes, we want to pay for space. And that's exactly what's happening. And if you look at, you know, if you look while while millions of people have been telling, you know, being told there's no money for healthcare, there's no money for this, there's no money for that, you see bucket loads of money pouring into space. It's unbelievable. I don't know if you know anything about the stock market or what SPACs are. No. What they've been doing is uh, issuing blind pools, huge amounts during COVID, of uh, of companies going public saying, um, give us your money and we're going to invest it, but we don't know in what. Mm. <laughs> it's called a SPAC. Uh, uh, it's an acquisition corporation. And then the company, the blind pool goes public and then they buy a space company and that permits the space company to go public without having to go through the disclosure process. It's very clever. Mm. I mean, there's some disclosure when they do the acquisition, but you avoid a lot of the sort of critical view of what the company is doing and how it's working. Hmm. And then, and they're using that, um, yeah, why are they doing that? Um, it's a way of taking an enormous amount. They're creating an enormous amount of private space capacity and, and providing significant capital to it. So it's a way to do that fast, hmm. to get fantastic amounts of capital into space, private space companies very, very quickly. Mm. And we and we still think that the money is going to the to the to the nursing homes and our um, retirements and stuff, right? Well, I think people know that the central banks are printing fantastic amounts of money and injecting it into the economy, and then as you're watching, the private equity firms have fantastic amounts of money. Mm. So yeah, yeah, that's what they're trying. I mean, using to try to 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 complement or to, to bring in the plans that they're having. Right. Um, we discussed it a bit, but maybe it's it's still good to like what what is exactly the thing that they're wanting by by 2030? Because um, I mean, you can read a lot of their plans, but it's different a bit. And I, or maybe maybe I can 
like correct me if I'm wrong, but the thing is 2030, they have total control, mega cities, and they, they try to actually let us own nothing. Well, here's the question. 2030, what's, the, what's their desired population size? So that's the big thing. That's one of the big things. Um, you know, if they want a radically smaller population, that's going to have a dramatic impact on all of us. Mm. So I think the question is, what what is their population size and why? Mm. I mean, uh, to me, there's there are a couple really important unanswered questions. And, and the most unimportant, or the, one of the most important is, who is Mr. Global and why is Mr. Global trying to centralize? Now, one possibility is the technology gives them the ability to do it, so why not? Mm-hmm. You know, but there are many other possibilities, one of them being a series of geophysical risks. So I believe Mr. Global wants to become a multi-planetary civilization, and it's one of the reasons they want central control. If you've got more than one planet, you need a, a central spot that can speak for Earth, right? So, so I think, you know, I think it's very important to understand why is Mr. Global doing what he's doing, because to me, Mr. Global looks like he's afraid, Looks like he's afraid. Yeah, Mr. Global's afraid. Well, in that clip, I think I mentioned to you, it's growing on me. Um, because, you know, we we do see a lot of strange things. I've never heard her talk about the uh, interplanetary. interplanetary space. but That but you, definitely turned you off at first, right? Well, I mean, it, I was just kind of like, okay, that's just kind of... I mean, we, of, have, we have some friends that uh, don't believe in the global model, right? The... I mean, the space, if we think about space, I mean, we think about the virus being, you know, animation, computer generated. And then if we think about the Earth, too, and the pictures that we have of the Earth, those are also computer generated. So we can't really well, but the, tell, is it really a ball? Is it not? <laughs> but the, the, uh, the thing w- that, that I do think is interesting about what Catherine's talking about, and again, if you're unfamiliar with her, she was the... Uh, Secretary or Assistant Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under we the first Bush her administration. Many times. Yeah, and she's uh, really big in the uh, uh, investment banking and uh, um, just overall financial planning space. She's, and she's I'm got her own firm. from the system, um, pushing the red button, as yeah. she calls it. But uh, what is interesting to me is we are seeing a lot of interesting. Uh, investment like from that of Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. you know, Bill, uh, uh, Sir Richard Branson, you know, uh, mm-hmm. on Virgin Atlantic or whatever, uh, uh, putting together these these ships that will go into space, you know, and, and, and they have their rocket businesses and stuff. And so, you know, even just recently, uh, Jeff Bezos within the last, I think I might, might have mentioned it even in, in a previous episode here, but, you know, he was just talking about how, uh, um, uh, he believes that the Earth is going to be like a big Yellowstone at some point. People are going to be living either on another planet or they're going to be living out in space. Like literally, I think he mentioned it like within, you know, the foreseeable future, you know, like maybe even in uh, uh, maybe not our lifetime, but maybe our kids' lifetime. And uh, um, so you're we're all going to be living in the metaverse. In the metaverse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but then but then the other piece is that... Um, You've got uh, all this money being spent on these space programs across the the globe, specifically in Asian markets, like she mentions. Um, And uh, uh, you also are seeing a huge ramp up in talk about UFO. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, the governments have actually come out, you know, the U.S. government saying that they have uh, uh, all of this stuff that they are telling you they do not know. Uh, what this is, and, and and even some of the insiders on the uh, government side, I mean, sanctioned mm-hmm. speakers for the government are saying that uh, we don't believe these to be uh, built here, you know, uh, uh, by by uh, mm-hmm. by humans. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Amazon, Amazon Prime has tons of documentaries on this topic and whistleblowers, and even like. Yeah, as you're saying, people in the government saying, yeah, we've known forever. And Well, so it's interesting. Is, is that a predictive programming thing? You know, yeah. you, you start to feed that into mm-hmm. the uh, 
um, the mindset of people that okay, look, this is this is here. You know, you're not making them encounter it and have to deal with it right away, but you know, you're warming them up that okay, look, space travel can be something that we can do. Uh, there are other life forms out there. Again, it's strange. and again, there could it's a possibility there there is no space and it's something else. Yeah, yeah, okay. It, it's getting late. It's getting it's late. It's getting All late, right. but okay. I mean... She's been drinking, people. No. Um, I don't know much about the subject, okay? All I know is what I learned in physics, and that could have been all a bunch of brainwashing. I don't know. Yeah. But but uh, it is interesting on the fear aspect, you know, what she's, what she's referring to, because she's seeing some interesting things as well, you know, as far as uh, some of the moves they're making. And uh, and she guesses the Mr. Global is afraid. Well, and it does explain, you know, like the buildup of China, because, you know, we are seeing this really interesting um, um, shift, you know, like we're seeing like our, our, our sports, uh, uh, not just teams, but our sports leagues, you know, kind of bowing down to China, you know, if, if uh, individual players are, are to say things that are against the government, you know, they had that uh, uh, drama that recently unfolded with their one of their tennis stars. Uh, who oh, she disappeared. She disappeared, and uh, uh, basically where that's at right now, at least uh, from what I heard when I was flying back from Vegas, is that, um, you know, the... the so, uh, like, I'm confused. What does that have to do with the... Well, we're, well okay, if you'd let me finish the point, okay. then I can get there. But um, it's late for me, too, by the way. Yeah. But, but uh, um, you're, you're seeing th- that the U.S. government is really turning a blind eye to, you know, uh, um, uh, human rights abuses and whatnot in China. But at the same time, they're shoving, they're allowing tons of money to be shoved into the, the, the Asian market, specific, uh, specifically China and whatnot. So they're building up their infrastructure over there. You know, they're, they're becoming really a major superpower. Um, and, and what she's saying in here is that this is necessary to build up these Asian market countries because, you know, they have the ability to meet the engineering and the production demands to be able to do things like the space travel. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you don't want a country who's still a perceived powerhouse like uh, the United States. You don't want to see the uh, government institutions or the major entertainment institutions. We already know that Hollywood kind of bows down. In fact, Hollywood even changes movies they actually pull scenes out or they even change some storylines oh, in that. some movies yeah okay so because they, of china because of china china reviews things and they say okay no we don't want this you you, wow. you, you you're making a comment about us in some way or it's indirect and they have changed those uh, mm. those things that's actually something that uh, Robert has talked quite a bit about, and you know, because mm-hmm. he's uh, he focuses around uh, pop culture a lot, and and, and he he looks into that mm-hmm. uh, more in the past, but I think he, he he peppers some of that in now too. So, so that's interesting. Um, you know, it kind of colors that whole discussion around China specifically being the largest Asian country, but it it, it does apply to the others as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but can we make it even more speculative? <laughs> This episode. Well, you more. you want to? I know. I do because I I listened to this clip probably a couple months ago or even longer. And even though we can't prove anything that this person is saying, he's talking about his name is Bill Ryan's. He's known as a military insider, I guess you could say. He was in the military, and he actually was one of the first people that started to try to blow the whistle that the government was spying on on American citizens. And that was way before even Snowden came out saying the same thing. And he was, of course, viciously attacked at the time. His character was attacked. And his name is Bill Ryan, and he actually disappeared. Nobody knows what happened to him, where he went. He actually left three videos that he recorded somewhere in a tent in the mountains. <laughs> and after that, like nobody has ever seen it, seen him or, or talked to him or heard from him. And so I just thought it was so intriguing what he says here in this clip. And at the same time, I felt like, it was it was hopeful, so I wanted to share. We wanted I wanted to share. Leah was not down for that one, but I was like, you know what? Let's just do it. 
Yeah, she's really like, let's burn the, the fucking house down. <laughs> All right. right. Okay. So let's do that. Okay, so here, let's load up old Bill Ryan. One of the caveats that I do have some personal information uh, that I did get personally involved in was some information that had to do with the Stargates and Looking Glass and more specifically the 2012 problem with those projects. The popular opinion of what's out there right now is that the project was shut down because there was a problem when we approached 2012. I've heard it described a number of ways, but to my knowledge, the problem is, is that the timelines converge on that point in time and when you know enough about the Stargate projects and the Looking Glass project to know how string theory works and how the possibility of possibilities works and how making one choice over here doesn't necessarily mean that the other choice couldn't exist at the same time but once you get your brain wrapped around this subject, you find out that at the end of 2012, in an easy way to put it, uh, the choices that we make become less and less consequential to the future. And eventually we're pushed into this bottleneck of time, no matter which choice we make. And that's important to the people that had access to Looking Glass because they would use Looking Glass knowing the choices that they would make and the future would pop up. The big mistake was coming up with the possibility of future. And when we started using a computer to say, well, if we make this choice, it's 79% possible that this scenario happens and 23% are possible or whatever, you know, using round numbers, that this scenario would happen. The understanding at the time was that was realistic. However, if you go down the road further and free will continues to exercise itself on this game, that 79% possibility sometimes changes very, very fast. But if you look at the situation in a point of time, it seems very realistic that that's the greatest possibility. What happened was people, very smart people, began to figure out that something big was coming up. Something that made it so all the possibilities of all the future scenarios of any choice any possibility that was fed in and observed through the looking glass inherently ended up in the same future. And no decision, no possibility changed past a certain point. That's the big secret. All possible timelines lead to the same basic set of history in the future. That is what sends everybody that has all of the information, that knows everything, into a blind panic. The people that know everything about Looking Glass, that have gotten all the reports and all the information, the elites of the world, probably figured out that that was the end of the game. I mean, nothing could be manipulated beyond that point. When I was in the military, it would have been before 97 when I got in trouble, one of my particular areas that I was amazingly intuitive about is problem solving slash mission planning or um, more specifically taking a bad mission and fixing it. Certainly knowing how string theory and possible futures works makes it so you can work your mind very quickly to 
see the reality of what's happening and decide what decisions need to be made to change it for a particular outcome. At a certain point, after they're done hearing the computer tell them, this is what's going to happen over and over and over and over again, all they become focused on is, how do we fix it? What I do know is that I was called in and asked to solve this problem, this timeline contraction problem. And I eventually did my due diligence and did all the investigating and basically only had one piece of information, and that was reinforcement. The computer's right. The timelines will contract down to some inevitable thing. There is an inevitable event. It's been forecast, it's been predicted, it's been fed to us in a slop trough of what they want us to believe will happen. They don't actually have control over what happens. They only have control over the reaction, and it seems that no matter what they try to do to cause their desired reaction, it's going to have an opposite effect. Much, much easier for me to explain today what that process is as opposed to back then. If I had to give it a name, I would say it's the awakening process. It's an evolution of consciousness that cannot, will not, and no matter what decisions or possibilities are injected into the equation, eventually it all resolves down to us all learning the truth and becoming aware of this massive dam of lies that has been built that keep us from knowing massive volume of information that we should otherwise possess. Essentially what happened with Looking Glass, not only did they not want people to use it anymore because they knew it was just going to burp out the same thing, uh, but at the same time they didn't want anybody else to know what it was saying. I'm sure. Because essence. that information was a monumental concern when I was in the military about how to prevent this inevitability. Now, at first, I thought it was end of the world. Now I see end of the world as end of their world. The biggest cherry on top of all this conversation um, would be a synopsis to say that if I could convince everybody out there that for all intents and purposes, what we believe to be true eventually becomes true. If somebody convinces us that a major disaster is going to happen in the very near future, a major disaster happens in the very near future. If we don't buy into that fear and accept that there's really nothing that we know know is going to happen and accept of whatever happens, that makes the convergence of the timelines happen as naturally as possible. Any attempts to try to go away from this one inevitable conclusion, I again see as a new beginning, uh, an end of this reality, the beginning of something that we can't even possibly understand based on the level of our beliefs currently. But when all that information comes flooding out, there's going to be no denying what's true and what's a lie or what's illusion. Basically what we're experiencing right now is two master chess players sitting at the board. And one of them looks down at the board and sees that he's in checkmate in seven moves. And he looks across at his opponent, and he knows that his opponent sees it too. So there's no getting out of it. So at this point, the loser can only prolong the game. Both players know the game is over. It's only a matter of time before he does this, and then you're forced to do this, and then he's forced to do this, and eventually checkmate. We, as a race, if we could understand that the game is over, that 
based on the rules of the game, the bad guys have already lost, the good guys have already won, yes, there's moves left on the table, but those moves are being forced by the player that is going to win. Um, the only way that checkmate can't happen is if the player that's winning makes a mistake. But from all of the information that I've gathered, all of the information that's been given, all of the information that's been vetted to me, it seems pretty obvious that the good guy player on the side of the chessboard knows exactly what has to be done to win the game. And so at this point, any mistake would be all but impossible. But again, you really have to understand the game to know that the guy that's losing is lost. And I'm sure most people sitting watching a chess match between two advanced chess players know the game's over long after the two players know it's over. Because they can't see the board and see that there's only seven moves left.